You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you for your generosity. You've been, you've been consistent with your tithe, your offering, your giving. I know this is on top of that. Uh, but we want to we do our best to help community. And this is something that isn't just for today or tomorrow or even the next month or two. This is something that will go on into the years that we want to be part of. And uh, we get to do that. We get to celebrate what's going on at uh, Canby Center. Well, a few special announcements this morning. One big announcement we have to make this morning is Annette and I are expecting our, see that pause there? Our ninth grandchild. That's what we're going to say to you. We're expecting our ninth grandchild. I saw some of you pause like you were looking down and you looked up really fast. That's impossible. Um, we're expecting our ninth grandchild. And so we just found out at Thanksgiving. We're so excited. Wanted you to know you can pray for Ryan and Jesse and, um, and for Stevie and Calder, who are brother and sister of the new baby that will be here, I think, sometime this summer. And so we're excited about that, and uh, we love that. We have also with us today a seven-year-old who's turning seven today, a grandchild whose seventh birthday, Nehemiah's birthday is today. And so we've got all this action going on, and kids everywhere, kids spending the night, kids going to church, kids having fun. And so we, we love that. We really do. Well, this morning, what I'd like you to do is open your Bibles with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, I thought we were taking a little pause on the series, The Gospel of John, Good News for a Change. We are. We are as a, as a congregation of all of us doing it together. But here's my problem. My problem is that when I look for Christmas messages to give, there's no better place than the Gospel of John. So you're seeing me wander back to the Gospel of John chapter 8. And, and I want to just to share a few things with you out of this passage of Scripture. It, it actually fits with our theme for this Christmas, Jesus, light of the world. And uh, we see that in John chapter 8 where Jesus declares that he is the light uh, of the world. And so let's pray together and ask God's Spirit just to touch our hearts. Father, I want to thank you today for the good work that you're doing in all of our lives and that you would continue to do that. Lord, there are times in our uh, walk with you that we feel just this overwhelming sense of your love and your presence. And so I just ask that you would do that today in the lives of everyone that's in this room and the lives that hear this message. Lord, I pray for health during these holiday seasons that families and individuals, our community would experience your health, your strength. We are so grateful for your word. <clears throat> we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say, Amen. Well, we've already said a Christmas season is here, and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking uh, at Jesus, light of the world. We want to we want to unpack that and find out what Jesus means when He talks to us about Him being the light of the world, because it's here that you find our theme for Christmas: Jesus being the light of the world. And for many of you that have been studying the Gospel of John, as so many of you have been, I'm so thankful that you're diving in, you're studying this wonderful book. But many of you know that. <clears throat> There are I am's. Jesus says I am seven different times in the Gospel of John. Uh, this is the second time that he says an I am. He says I am the light of the world. Now there are seven that are mentioned all through scripture. Let me tell you what they are if you haven't uh, looked at them recently. First of all, he says I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the resurrection in the life. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And today, what we're looking at is Jesus being the light of the world. I grew up in Southern California. Don't hold it against me, but that's where I grew up. And there, there was always a lot of light. I mean, light everywhere. There, it rarely rained. You just were brought up playing outside until really the sun went down. There just was a lot of opportunity to enjoy the outdoors. One of the effects that happens when you grow up in an environment like that is when it does just sprinkle a little bit, everyone heads for the hills. It's like, it, it's like Armageddon. Something bad is happening when it rains, and so everyone runs inside. That's, that's kind of the environment that, that I grew up in. And then I moved to the Northwest. I moved to the Northwest and, and find out that there are real things about being in the dark a lot. I mean, maybe some of you have even experienced this. It's called light deprivation. Have you experienced that before? I, I think a lot of us, if we've been here for a while, we've probably been affected one way or another. In fact, funny story, when Annette and I were first married and we were very, very poor and we were looking for ways to raise money, uh, Annette heard from OSHU that they were actually doing a study, this is about 40 years ago, on light deprivation. And so she went and signed up. I don't remember how much we got, but it was great for Christmas. And uh, we did this. So she'd bring, she packed these lights home and, and put them in her room, our bedroom, and she would have to go in there for uh, an hour or two each day. I don't know, reading the time, but it was, it was to get light, get the vitamin D that you need. And uh, we earned a little money. I didn't realize, honestly, growing up where I was growing up, I didn't realize it, it, it's a real thing. Uh, in fact, the official name is Seasonal Affective Disorder. Uh, acronym is SAD, which really makes a lot of sense. Well, the discovery in all of this study is that we all need light. We need light physically, uh, emotionally, we need light. Our bodies, our minds require light. See, humans can't survive, they can't thrive unless we have light, and we need it. So this is a spiritual truth as well. People cannot thrive or survive without true sunlight. And when I say sunlight, I mean S-O-N, light. That's the light of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's declaring in this passage of Scripture. And the problem is that light can be intimidating at times. Um, you can feel assaulted by light. If you've, ever experienced, if you've ever experienced that before, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I told this story a while back, but my uh, brother-in-law, who's since passed, was with us a year ago. He, uh, he was staying in our home, and he went into our, our guest bathroom, and he, he wasn't having anything to do with it. He just said, I can't see anything. I said, well, maybe it's because you need glasses or you're not. Nope, it's too dark in your bathroom. I will fix it. So what he does is he changes out all the light bulbs. I think he put like 5,000 watts in this bathroom, and that the next time I walked in, I, it was retina-burning light. It was... It was like, whoa, and I, and I it was like trying to get in, and, and I was looking for things till my eye, eyes adjusted. Now, I found out this. The danger wasn't after my eyes adjusted when I was in the room. The danger happened after I walked out of the room, because we have a stairwell that's really close, and it takes a little time for your eyes to adjust. There were a few times that I nearly did a, a topple down those stairs because my eyes were trying to adjust from the light. And a light can be that way. You've experienced that kind of light before. Our eyes can grow accustomed, though, to the dark as well. And when I say that, I'm not obviously speaking only in the spiritual sense or the physical sense. I'm speaking in the spiritual sense that we grow accustomed to the darkness that we're part of in the world that we live in. The prophet said as much when speaking about Jesus and his, his coming 
Isaiah, the prophet, he wrote this. He said, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. A thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I love what Isaiah 60 is all about here because there's a real thing called prophetic tense. You know, you have present tense, future tense. There's also something called prophetic tense. So when the, when the prophets would write about something that was going to happen, they would write it as if it was happening at that very moment. Did you know there are four pro prophetic tenses in this passage? If you look at them again, your light has come. And then it goes on and it says, rise and it will rise upon you. Lord, rise upon you. His glory appears over you. It's a prophetic sense that Isaiah is speaking about something that's going to happen 700 years later. And that happening would be the light of Jesus Christ. That, that's what, was, what, what Isaiah was forecasting. That's what he was speaking of here. He's saying, Jesus is going to come. Your Messiah is going to come. Now, I want to take a moment, just clue you in on this prophetic tense because I think it's just important. I think it's important in our lives today. We think of, you know, the prophetic tense of being something that's already been done, said and done. But I think the Lord still works that way, that there's a prophetic tense that we can, we can live with. We can speak out over our family, over our children, over our loved ones. And I'm going to encourage you to do that as parents, as uh, grandparents that you would speak prophetically over your children, over your families. I do that. I do that often over our kids, and I also do that when we dedicate babies, in which we're going to do uh, in a couple of weeks. When I hold that child, I just believe with all my heart that God has a purpose for them. He has a plan for them. And I ask graciously, Lord, would you let me speak that over them? Let me speak that. So moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas can hear the word of the Lord spoke in a prophetic tense that they can say, this is the life of this child. And by no means is it the whole life of that child, but it's the essence of what God wants to do in the heart and spirit of that child. I can't tell you how many times uh, moms and dads have come up to me years, years later when they're in their 20s and 30s, their kids are, and they say, wow, that word that you spoke over my child, I remember that 20, 25 years ago. And, and how accurate that is. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to encourage you to be bold when it comes to your children and your grandchildren. Even when what you're seeing is maybe um, something that doesn't line up with Scripture. Even with what you're seeing, you're recognizing maybe a destructive pattern in their life. I want you to intervene in that pattern. That you would interrupt that destructive pattern. You would step in, fill the gap that you would intercede for them in a prophetic tense, that you would do what the prophets did of old, that you would speak about something that's going to come as if it has already happened in Jesus' name. That's what, that's what Isaiah is doing right here. He's speaking over these people because many of these people in the chapter that we're looking at here are blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. They're seeing this light and they don't know what to do with it. So Jesus comes on the scene in the darkness and he turns on the light. But so many in our story rather live in darkness. So I want you to hear what Jesus does here. I want you to hear this exchange that, that he has with the Pharisees beginning at verse 12 in chapter 8. And it says this. 
When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from or came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once again, Jesus is entangled in these conversations, contentious conversations with the religious leaders of his day. And they're, 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 uh, they're coming against, they're being combative over that second I am. I am the light of the world. And there are reasons why they're combative here. They have some background to this. And I want you to notice when you look at the story, first of all, there are two groups of people and one Jesus. You see two groups of people, those that follow Jesus and those that hate Jesus. And then there's Jesus talking to this group of people. And there are Jesus followers, Jesus haters in this story. Then he says, those that follow him will not walk in the darkness. And then he speaks to those who deny him. Now listen to verse 12 again, because that is the centerpiece of this passage. I love what it says here. It's something that, that many of us have memorized before. And Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here it is. Jesus is the source of light. That's the first thing that we know. That's the first thing that we, we, we stand on. We claim, we proclaim that Jesus is the source of light. And it's important to know where, when, and why Jesus spoke these words and gave this claim, I am the light of the world. Well, first of all, he spoke these words toward the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we've studied that a little bit before. It's actually the celebration that Israel has. They're looking back to their wilderness wanderings. That's what they're looking back to. And they're looking and seeing how God has provided for them through those 40 years. And so the Feast of Tabernacles is all about that kind of celebration. And, and it's taking place in Jerusalem. But at the beginning of this feast, there's a celebration called the Illumination of the Temple. Uh, I'd love for you to just dive in sometime when you get some some time and look at what that's all about but it's it's pretty amazing because the way they kicked off uh, this particular feast was with these great amazing light standards candelabras menorahs you can call them what you want but they were 75 feet in height and that you could see them from all over Jerusalem and so when people looked up in the night, they would see these glowing lights. The, the celebration of illumination is what they called it. And they were, they were massive. And each candelabra required 65 gallons of oil apiece to burn. 
Now, the closest thing I can compare it to for us today, probably the 4th of July. That's the best thing I could come up with when we all go out and we sit out on our lawns or we go to where they're, where they're having 4th of July fireworks and we really enjoy those. You hear a lot of oohs and ahs and excitement. It brings community together. We picnic. We have fun. Think of it that way. That when these lights, these candelabras were lit up, people would gather from all over. And even if you couldn't get a front row seat, you still saw them from a distance. You knew what was happening. What were they doing? They were celebrating the light, the fire, the pillar of fire in the wilderness. The Shekinah glory of God. The light of God. So when Jesus says this, when he says, I am the light of the world... The reason the Pharisees took offense was because what Jesus was saying is, I'm God. <laughs> He's saying, I am that light. That's what, they, that's what they associated this phrase with when he said, I'm the light of the world. They're saying, well, you're saying that you're God, that, that that's really who you are because that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating God's presence in the wilderness. And what happens here is Jesus says that if you follow me, you're not going to just have light for one night or a few nights, you're going to have life and light the rest of your life. He's, he's making that claim that we will know Jesus. When we know him, we have light for our lives. Our, our, our lives are full of the light of Jesus Christ. And then the Pharisees, they respond in verse 13. They say, you bear witness of yourself. It's not true. You're a liar. <laughs> See, what they're saying is that in, in, in legal uh, transactions back in the time of, of Jesus, you had to have a, a few witnesses to come to court. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I have a witness. It's me and my Father in heaven. That, that's the witness I have. And even if I have all of that, you're still, you're still going to be combative with me. You're, you're, you're still going to contest me. Because whatever Jesus said or did, the Pharisees were always there to confront him dispute with him. It was always a contest all the time. Now, there's a reason why, again, it's because this title light in Jewish scripture was reserved for the one person alone, and that's God. So they understood Jesus to be claiming that he was God. Now, remember John's theme here. It's so important, very consistent with what John is teaching us. John has a few things that he wants you to know. And one of those most important things he wants you to know is that Jesus is God. Do you believe this? He, he repeats that over and over and over again. And remember in his own account at the resurrection when he went into the tomb, it says, and the one Jesus loved looked in and what happened? And he believed. So John is passing that on to us. He's passing that passion on to us. So whatever Jesus was doing here, or however life was being lived through Jesus, it was the light that we were attracted to, that we wanted to come alongside of, that we wanted to be involved with. So the Jews were celebrating the illumination of the temple, the Shekinah glory of God in the wilderness. And here Jesus is saying that that light that guided you, that protected you, that provided for you, that's me. He's saying that that's who I am. I want you to remember this was a, a, a predicted by other prophets and even during the time of Jesus. I love this passage, especially during the Christmas season where there's this, um, there's, there's this conversation that, 
happens in the temple eight days after Jesus is born. He's following Jewish custom. He, he goes in to be circumcised, and the one holding him is a man named Simeon. And, and Simeon has this prophetic word that he speaks over Jesus during that time. Remember I told you about baby dedications? Simeon practiced that. He, he believed in that. And this is what it says in Luke 2, 28 through 32. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, it is you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He says something else if you go a few verses back. In fact, go to chapter 1 at the end of chapter 1. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This is John the Baptist. He's speaking to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. He's talking about, again, light in a dark place and that Jesus is referred to as being the light that we need. Now, look at the second part of verse 12. Just do that with me for a moment because there is a shift that takes place. John has these subtle shifts that when you're reading the Gospel of John, you've got to kind of keep up a little bit because he'll shift for you. He goes to different places, and he does that here. Jesus turns from claiming something about himself to claiming something about those who follow him. So what he does is immediately shifts from himself being the source of light and he's saying now, there's something that happens for those that are followers of that light. He said, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This one verse speaks to, uh, to us about a few things here. And I want you to, to get a hold of just a few things. First of all, it's the internal condition, like the Israelites following the pillar of fire. Jesus is addressing something internal in our lives. He's saying there needs to be a light, a passion uh, in your own heart. There's something that comes from you that oftentimes isn't definable by the world that you're part of, but they see something in you, and that's that eternal light of Jesus Christ. So he's saying when you walk with him and you walk in his light, then what are you doing? You're reflecting that light because you've embraced the light of the world. I love this. He's saying that we can have that in our own lives. I think for me, that really speaks about confidence, just being confident in, uh, confident in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, confident in what God has provided for us, that when you're walking in the light, you do not stumble. When you are walking in the light, your life is not a hot mess of confusion, that when you're walking in the light, things are clear to you and that you see them. Rather than when you walk in the darkness, everything's confusing, you can't see, you don't even know what's in front of you, and you stumble over everything in your path. Uh, I told you, mentioned a, uh, just a few minutes ago about, we had, I think, four grandkids uh, staying with us for a couple nights. The four younger ones, when they stay with us, it seems like ten. It just seems like there's a lot of them. But there's only four. And uh, when they come into the house, it just gets totally, it just gets torn apart pillows everywhere, toys everywhere. I got up early the other morning and walking in a dark hallway and I literally almost broke my neck because there was a car in the hallway and I couldn't see it because I didn't have the light on yet and I just about 
stumbled over that. Now, here's me. I haven't turned on the light again. I decided I need to go back that way. I hit the thing again. I hit that thing three or four times. Finally, I just want to pick it up and throw it out of the house because this thing's going to cause me harm. But that's what happens when we walk in darkness. When we walk in darkness, not only do we stumble, but we can stumble over the same things time and time again. Until we turn on the light, until we, we say, Jesus, we need you. We want to reflect your light in us. Until we have that, that, that salvation operating in us, then we're going to continue to stumble through life. You know, that makes sense when we have light and we can see. Because when it's dark, you do, you do want the light. You want to follow the light. I know that's what attracted me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. As I saw so many practicing their faith out. And I thought, those people are really light in their community. And I, I want to be like that. That's the way I want to live my life. The way is illuminated. People without Jesus are, are really confused. They're disoriented. I heard what a medical doctor said the other day. Um, medical science can add years to your life, but only Jesus can add life to your years. That is so true. It's Jesus that gives us the life that we need. So we have this We have this external thing or this internal light but then there's an external behavior that should be reflected as people of the light and that's what Jesus speaks to here Jesus speaks about our external behavior by using the word walk now you'll see that all through you'll see that all through the Bible that word walk most of you know you know it, it really means a lifestyle that's that's really what the word means it means a lifestyle that we live in a way that we live it refers to the way that you live your life it is about the way that that I go about my business my relationships my conversations the Apostle Paul tells us a lot about how to walk and he uses that term over and over again one is Galatians chapter 5 he says now walk in the spirit that if you're gonna live this life and you're gonna be a light that shines then you need to walk in the spirit Ephesians 5 Paul says this walk in love <laughs> that wherever you go whatever you do make sure that you're walking in love that your lifestyle reflects a lifestyle of love and then the word also says don't walk after don't live a lifestyle after the flesh or in darkness see see the emphasis there and I love the practicality of the Apostle Paul our behavior changes after we come to Jesus our former behavior is replaced with God-honoring lifestyle. I, I don't know if you, you uh, where you grew up or how you grew up, but, but, but in my high school days, I wasn't a, a Jesus follower. I didn't follow Jesus. And then toward the end of my high school years, I, I just really had this encounter with Jesus Christ, and, and my life was changed. And, and I, I just remember the commentary that my friends always had about me. They, they, would, they would say, man, you're not the same guy anymore. Man, what are you doing? You're going to church? I mean, you're reading the Bible? Yeah, I hung out with a lot of heathens, man. I did. And, and, and they saw this behavioral change. They saw something that was even hard for them to define. But I know many of my friends wanted that light in their own life. And I know I, know I got to have those conversations. And several of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because there was an external behavior that had changed because of an internal light in my heart. And, and that made all the difference in the world. And then there's something else that's addressed here in that, that short verse. Uh, look at this phrase. We have the light of life. That's what Jesus is saying. That speaks to our spiritual influence. 
That's what he's talking about here. Literally, this means we don't borrow light, but we possess light. We don't hijack light. We don't fabricate light, but it's really ours. We have it. Now, that word, have it, I, I've mentioned this to you before, is a super fastened. means I'm, I'm fastened to it. I can't get, I, even if I tried, I couldn't even get away from it because it's such a strong attraction. It's a strong fastening. So what has been fastened to me is light. And that light influences others. When people see that light in you, uh, that is something that influences them, that you reflect the light like the moon reflects the light of the sun. Uh, so what are the blemishes or the distortions? That's what I had to think through. If I'm a reflection of light, of true light, of the light of Jesus, then I want to be careful with what am I reflecting? I mean, what kind of shadows do I present? What kind of things do I bring in relationships that aren't part of the light of Jesus Christ? You know, I, I thought of a few. I thought about hypocrisy. I thought about judgment. I thought about living in offense in my life. Annette and I have been praying over those things in our own family with our own kids coming together and, and standing as the light of Jesus Christ and saying we want to influence others, especially our children, in the ways of Jesus Christ. So what are the things that blemish that light, that cast a shadow uh, on who I am and, and what I do and how I live? You see, in, instead of, for me, instead of complaining, because I've caught myself doing that, maybe some of you have, complaining over the condition of the world, complaining over what we're hearing on the news, complaining over the fallen state of my neighbors. By the way, can I, can I put in a little clause here on behalf of your fallen friends? They don't know how to live any other way, so you can't hold them to your Christian standard. They live the way they live, and we come in and we bring light. That's why we're there. We're there not to complain about them. We're there to help them find the light of Jesus Christ. What a difference that makes in relationships. So I don't want to complain about darkness. We need to shine the light. I love what a pastor said. A famous pastor was interviewed. Uh, and he said this, there are two reasons people haven't become Christians. Two reasons. Number one, they haven't met a Christian. Number two, they have met a Christian. <laughs> Those are the two reasons. And I'm hoping that I'm on the right side of that equation. I hope I'm someone, because they meet me, they say, I want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is, maybe. At first, they don't know how to define it, but they just know there's something about your life and the way you live that influences the way they live. And it's not something I think we have to work up. It's not something we have to conjure. I think when we're, when we're living that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's just something that flows from us. It's, it's who we are. And then there's one other thing that we can look at here, another element to that passage of Scripture. And I love this. <laughs> there's an eternal destination for you, eternal destiny for us. I mentioned it this morning when we were taking communion. This little phrase says something about our external behavior, our internal condition, our spiritual influence. But Jesus is also talking about our eternal destiny, that your life is eternal and you can determine how that eternity is lived out. And, and let me give you a bit of a disclaimer here. When people say, well, why does God send people to hell? Let me say this to you. God doesn't send anyone to hell. You make the choice to go there yourself. It's, it, it's not a, God wants you. 
The Bible says God would, that everyone would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is what he wants. He said, I would that none should perish, but all have everlasting life. He's not sending anyone to hell. It's the choices we make. I can either believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you this, that that decision will determine my eternal destination. It will. It's there. It's standing in front of us. That if you shine now for Jesus, you will shine forever. That, that's really what Jesus is saying here. I love what the prophet Daniel says here. And I want to refer to prophets, especially during this season, because there were over 300 prophetic words of the coming of the Messiah that were all fulfilled in the New Testament in the life of Jesus. And Daniel was one of them. Um, Daniel says this, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I love that. It's just speaking of your influence. It's speaking of God's call on your life. Heard a story not too long ago. I experienced this. I experienced this at one one point in my ministry journey. Uh, Annette and I used to oversee a, a Christian school, and uh, and so we would do little field trips. And at Christmas time, uh, we would go into the sanctuary. You guys know we go in the sanctuary, walk in there, um, and I, I just remember standing there with a five year old. And he's looking up, and there was this beautiful stained glass of Jesus as the great shepherd. <laughs> and he goes, whoa. Whoa, he goes, God must be here. I mean, that was, that was his determination. And I thought, through the eyes of a five-year-old, that probably makes a, a, lot of, a lot of sense. But I heard about another five-year-old who was in a cathedral. They were given a little field trip, and they were looking at all the stained glass. And all of them were of the saints. And so they were teaching them about the saints. And so when they got done, they had a little on-the-spot quiz. And they asked them, what makes you a saint? What makes you a saint? And this little boy said, a saint is somebody that light shines through. <laughs> That's what a saint is. Boy, one of the best definitions I've ever heard. Somebody that light shines through, and that's us. So then we come to those that reject his light, and we close with this because there are Jesus haters out there. You see that in verses 13 to 18. They hated Jesus so much that they asked him, where is your father? Now, that might not seem like much when we read it, but it was for that time, that day. You know what they were saying to Jesus? We know your background. If you say you're from a virgin, if you say your mother is Mary, then where is your father? They were calling him a bastard. That's the term they were using. They were actually wanting to destroy him emotionally. They're wanting to tear him down. They hated Jesus so much that they said, where is your father? That's a low blow. Basically referring to Jesus as not having a father. So this is a slur that is doubting the legitimacy of his birth. When Jesus is, is loved, received, and followed, then he is light to us. When Jesus is turned on, when Jesus is hated, rejected, and spurned, then he is darkness to those who are in the world. Because they don't see him. They don't want to see him. And they continue to stumble around in a dark life. Bottom line... People hate the light because the light reveals what darkness conceals. I think we've faced that. We've dealt with that. We've lived that way before. 
And what this does for me, this passage of scripture, really encourages me this Christmas especially, is to share the light that Jesus has given you. What is my reflection of the light of Jesus in the world that I'm part of and the relationships that I'm in? I, I want that to be right. I so do. And I'm looking for those opportunities, and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. Look for those opportunities to share that light with those that might be stumbling right now, that might be grappling for the meaning of life, grappling for a sense of who they really are, their identity. And I can say this, I've never seen or been part of a time or a culture where God-given identity is under such an assault as it is today. It's the same assault that Satan brought to the garden. Hath God really said this to you? He's actually questioning the very fabric of who they are as those being created in the image of God. Can I tell you this? When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your identity is firm and sure and forever in Jesus' name. I, I want to speak that over you. I want to speak that over you that are older, that are middle-aged, and especially those that are younger. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your identity is found in Jesus, and your identity is strong and sure. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Don't let anyone rob that from you or question that in you. In Jesus' name, you have a firm foundation. Trust in him. Would you bow your head with me just for a moment? Father, I want to thank you today for us being able to gather together. And um, again, I pray just for health of our community, of our families, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, allow this season of celebration to be a season of health, uh, of well-being. And we just know that, that you do that. And Father, I just ask in your name that you would continue to remind us and work in us to be the light that you've called us to be. We're just so thankful today. And for those that may not know you today, that they would come to that decision of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess our sins, we shall be saved. And we will shine the light of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We ask for the salvation of souls and the love that you have for people that it would be shown through us. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.